WPHT, WPHT, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. Always live on the free Odyssey app. From the Sherry Hill Volvo Studios, where relationships matter. Live and local from Philadelphia. Free speech lives here. Here. It's Kale and Company on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. And away we go, live on this Tuesday, October 24th. It is indeed Kale and Company right here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. We are always live on the free Odyssey app and, of course, streaming live for your video viewing pleasure on YouTube. As we head until 10 o'clock this morning, 855-839-1210, the phone number, Twitter and Instagram, the radio station at 1210 WPHT. I am at Nick Kale, Don Stenzlin with the news, Greg Stocker, the chairman of the board, Daniel Valdez, Anthony Dorenzo, our associate producers. So you're saying there's a game seven. Ah. Don, you called it. I did. I had a bad feeling. Did you hear that, Philadelphia? Blame it on Don Stenzlin. <sighs> Psychic. She forecasts the weather. Game sixes. <laughs> Have we ever had a game seven? Uh, according to the stats, no. So that should go over well. But I have faith. I have more faith that the Phillies will win tonight than the GOP will figure things out at 9 o'clock this morning. <laughs> but that's neither here nor there. Gregory, how are you? Hopefully we hit more balls today than uh, the Phillies did last night. Yeah. <clears throat> Not great when you can't hit balls. I know. Exactly. Yeah. Or yeah. take advantage of a pitcher that looked like he was on the ropes from Jump Street and yeah, let him off the hook multiple times. And by the way, can I just say this? Yeah. I'm sick of Alec Bohm. Uh-oh. And I'm sick of Mr. Rojas as well. Oh, no. Uh-oh. Well, he's not, he, he, he's, not, he's not good at bunting. You're a Major League Baseball player and you can't <laughs> bunt? They teach you that when you're six. It's true. Jesus. It's a good point. They're yeah. all good. They should, well... Most of, them, most, All right. of them, most of them. Big bounce back tonight, though. Big, big. We don't have to bounce back on this show, though, because we don't have days like yeah, that. Yeah, baby. Uh, we got a lot of good stuff to get to today, including how George Floyd was nothing more than a pawn for the left. We will explain and elaborate. Also, the left and liberalism when it comes to Israel. That story along the way. And, you know, what's interesting is... I'm not sure what is worse, how left-wing rags and newspapers and publications that are dying have supported the pro-Palestinian Hamas cause, and I know those are maybe technically two different things, or the fact that both the Enquirer and the New York Times make just unreal and oblivious mistakes. Shocking. We just got to get to that as well. So you know, and, and they always criticize us for putting our foot in our mouth. I know. You know, we all talk for a living. and Yes. Occasionally don't say things as eloquently as we like to. That's me on the daily. But this is a, this is a, these are two major newspapers. Yes. And they just blatantly put crap in there and people like, like, they get by somebody. I know. They're getting by somebody. Like, whatever happened to the, I remember my first newspaper job um, in 2006, there was a big editor desk. And the guy had, like, four, like, 20-inch monitors. Yeah. And anything that was submitted, whether it was a box score or a column or anywhere in between, was scanned word by word. Yep. That doesn't happen these days anymore. Well, it would be like me sitting here 
and everybody on this show must or on this station must submit everything that they're going to say for my approval before you say it. Yes, and then you don't actually proofread and editor <laughs> editorialize if that's a word. But anyway, ah well, that's why journalism's dying. But Dawn Stenzelin is still here, and she's an award-winning journalist, and she's not dying. She's thriving because she's got news. 605, round one, the great Dawn Stenzelin. Yes, and obviously we'll talk about Game 7, history in Philadelphia. We need the fans to be louder than ever. We want historic levels of loudness at the game tonight. We'll talk about it all in the news this morning. We're starting out chilly in the 40s, and I'll tell you about the summer-like warm-up that is in store this morning. But it is a solemn morning in Philadelphia as the city buries one of its finest, one of our finest, Officer Richard Mendez, more than 20-year veteran of our police force here in Philadelphia, killed in the line of duty while trying to stop a break-in, try to stop thugs from uh, breaking into cars at Philadelphia International Airport. He will be laid to rest after a public viewing and, and funeral service Public viewing last night as well as this morning. And police say those suspects fired at Officer Mendez and another officer, his partner, longtime friend. But Officer Mendez was killed. His colleague and friend, Officer Raul Ortiz, was shot but survived, continues to recover. And so this morning we expect a procession. And then as well, we expect um, that procession down to the Basilica here in Philadelphia. So that will all begin 8 a.m. So we'll talk about that this morning. And obviously honoring his life and thinking about his his widow, his family, and as well um, law enforcement from across the nation, not just across the city. Last time I'm told it was more than 500 people. Wow, is that right? Yeah, it was packed. Okay. Uh, so... You know, it's just, it, it's a, it's a sad morning for Philadelphia as we, as we think about this because for us, we, we grieve and we think about the family, but for, for the family, it's a lifetime, you know, and that's um, what we talk about with, with how ridiculous the crime in our city has, uh, you know, has escalated to. We do have U.S. Marshals and Philadelphia police arresting finally. This fifth suspect, it's been a year, more than a year, fifth suspect arrested in that deadly 2022 shooting uh, right in the shadow of Roxborough High School. And so that suspect, 17-year-old Dayron Bernie Thorne, taken into custody in Philadelphia's Germantown section. He has eluded and evaded authorities now for a year, and they've arrested him. The final suspect wanted for gunning down a 14-year-old a football player outside Roxborough High School, September of 2022. So the 17-year-old, I guess he jumped out of a window. This is the Nicholas Elizalde this case. This is Nicholas Elizalde. This yep. was right when uh, when we started Kale yeah, and Company. I remember it. And we had talked about it because you're you were a high school football player in this area, and um, we talked about you know just just a 14-year-old. This was a, a scrimmage. Yeah, basically a freshman right? in high school and a uh, 14-year-old. Straight A student, great kid, not in any way involved in anything other than just trying to live his life and be a great kid, Nicholas Elizalde. So uh, there were many tributes, in fact, to his mom, Meredith, and his grandmom because we've, you know, interviewed all of them and we've, you know, talked to all of them. If they've, they've just wanted justice in this mm-hmm. case. Hard to believe it took a year to find right? the fifth and final suspect. Well, apparently he fled to uh, out of state and they had heard that. They continued to look for him working with the feds, 
local authorities, regional authorities. That's what it took, Nick, a whole year. And you said U.S. Marshals were involved? Yeah. Yeah. So jumped out a window in boxer shorts and T-shirt, was trying to get away. Well, I did that once when I was 16, but I was trying to go see my girlfriend in the, in the back alleyway while my mom oh, was stop. asleep. <laughs> Every mom's fear, like, don't you jump out the window <laughs> for, a, for a girl, for crying out loud. That's right. Uh, we do have so much happening as we think about uh, Hamas, the Israel-Hamas war as um, that situation still um, Hamas releases two more hostages. We had told you over the weekend about two Americans, a Chicago mom and her teenage daughter. They were released. Now we have two more hostages released by Hamas uh, from Hamas custody, and they've arrived in Egypt at the border with Gaza. And that's according to Egypt's state affiliate, state-controlled news um, agency. So the Israel Israel Defense Forces, IDF, they say soldiers are conducting training exercise ahead of this potential ground incursion into Gaza. They're still holding off. And we've talked about this every single day as this delicate negotiation goes on. Vital humanitarian aid past the Rafah crossing there from Egypt into Gaza. And that happened yesterday while the warnings go out that the situation in the enclave's hospitals remains, quote-unquote, dire. Much more help is needed, water, food, etc. Delicate negotiation. The U.S. involved in trying to hold off the ground invasion here. Yeah. The IDF says they've now hit 400-plus Hamas terror targets uh, that they have struck in the last 24 hours. So ground, maybe not so much, but uh, I guess through the air in other ways, um, the destruction is underway. Yeah, so nine, they're saying now nine American hostages and in total 220 hostages still in custody. But two more elderly folks uh, were released yesterday, much to the delight of their families. All right, let's talk about Philadelphia. We got to get her done today. It's do or die, essentially, as we think about our Philadelphia Phillies, uh, we lost 5-1. to one. It was painful to watch. NLCS reaching this decisive Game 7 tonight. First Game 7 in Phillies history, and we have a long history. So how about some lowlights? Uh, listen in, Arizona came out swinging, early two-zip lead in the second. Listen in. The windup. And the pitch to Gurriel. Swung on, line deep to left. This one could go. Marsh turns, looks up, and it is gone. Back-to-back for the Diamondbacks. As Gurriel gets a hold of a sinker. His second homer of the postseason. And just like that, it's 2-0 Arizona here in the second. And just like that. I knew we were in trouble when they had back-to-back home runs. Yeah, I I mean, in in the first inning, Nola had some good movement, some good velocity, and then he just hung a fastball and a sinker back-to-back, and... He recovered after that, but we just ne- we had Kelly on the ropes two or three different times, yeah. and we never busted through like they did against our guy. And they pulled him in the bottom of the six too. Yeah, yeah. which I I looked at it was like, oh, he know was mad. A, I don't know. If that's a great he idea. Was. He was mad, but uh, it, it it turned out to be a great move. Yeah, but you know that's the first that's the first time all, all postseason long that Nola had a bad performance. It's true by his standards. So. True. So just like that, Brandon Marsh then responded as he gets a double to send JT Real Muto home. And a pitch from Kelly. Marsh swings, lines it into right. That's a base hit. 
JT coming around third. They're going to wave him to the plate. Carroll with a high throw to the plate. It's taken by Moreno. He'll throw to second, but it's late. And Marsh slides into second, pulls off the helmet, shouts back at his own dugout, raises his hands, and he's got the Phillies on the board. It's 3-1. to one. He was fired up, too, on that play. It was funny. They panned to the crowd and they showed his mom, uh-huh. who was just like, so ecstatic. Oh, I know. It's funny. She's like, that's my boy. Look at that beard. <laughs> look at that look, beard. Look at that, that hair. Unkempt hair. You think my hair's unkempt? I was just going to say, Brandon Marsh might be the stalker of the Phillies. <laughs> it was cute. Was was she the one where, you know, they were wearing their buttons of when their kids were like, we all wear for football. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? She had one of his cute little buttons from yeah. when he was like nine or ten. Uh-huh. Like, oh, my God. It was so sweet. Yep. But uh, that was a sweet moment. But Phil's just couldn't get out of their way. Mars strikes out to finish the game and force uh, game seven. Cutsy. Two balls, two strikes. Marsh waiting. Seawald kicks the pitch. That's a strike called on the outside corner. Backdoor breaking ball. Marsh complains, but the game is over as the Arizona Diamondbacks come to Citizens Bank Park, end the Phillies' home win streak, and they beat the Phillies 5-1 to one to force game seven of the National League Championship Series here tomorrow night. So we'll turn to Ranger Suarez, who has the lowest playoff ERA ever for a pitcher with at least five starts. Diamondbacks will use Brandon. Let's not go Brandon P. Fat. Yeah. I'm making fun of his name on purpose. Who is more effective against the Phils, as you know, in game three than any other pitcher this month, striking out nine over five and a half. Five and two thirds. So we throw innings. we throw Ranger tonight for the yeah. for the right to face the Rangers. Rangers exactly. uh, what Friday night? Yeah, exactly. How about Rangers, that? The Rangers took Game Seven. Yes. Goodbye, Houston. Yeah, Houston. it's all there for the Phillies now. I know. I know it is. What do you guys think about? Did you see before uh, the? I think it was the bottom of the eighth. Fans started leaving. Were they really? And yeah. I, I th- okay. That is such. That is bad luck. Yeah, and I remember with the Sixers, Allen Iverson back in the day, he yeah. would have none of that, mm-hmm. and they need somebody to go like, Mm-mm, get back in your seat. It's bad luck. Sit your tush down. Five one. You're trying to beat the traffic. You know it's probably Come not going to happen. Oh, and there's another game tomorrow night. I actually give the fans a pass. No, no, I do. no. I disagree. Sit down. Yeah, you are you are bad luck. You're there for the long haul. I mean this this team Come has on. a history of of. Coming back, I know for the fans. Yeah, the fans helped turn it around. Yep, that's that was that would have been like half the players. Well, uh, yeah, we've lost. Yeah, that was a bad. That was a bad. Well, maybe, bad look. maybe they had to get to work for today because uh, at the end of the day, we started <laughs> six a.m. Yeah, maybe other people start at six a.m. too. Well, then that was low energy. I mean, look, we didn't. We all have early wake up time, yeah. so we didn't go. Yeah, so. Anthony Dorenzo's here. Yeah, yeah. is he though? Oh, he's in spirit. <laughs> That's my enabling story, and I'm sticking with it. Did you guys, you guys see who's pitching uh, the first pitch tonight? Throwing out the first pitch. Or, uh, yeah, throwing out the first pitch. Oh. John Cruck. Oh, that's oh, right. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Nice. Bill One Nut. <laughs> that's not right. <laughs> that's his nickname. I know. I, I know. <laughs> it's not right, man. Sorry. <laughs> <sighs> We're a little punchy yeah. from. All right, 48 degrees, NBC 10 first solar forecast, 48 degrees and clear right now, 62 degrees, so brisk at uh, this evening because it's later. We're not, unfortunately, we're going to be really tired tomorrow, yeah. but hopefully celebrating, right? Yep. Um, 8.07, so it looks like 62, oh, 67 degrees, that's not bad, 67 degrees and bright sunny skies, 72 for your Wednesday, 77 for your Thursday. I hope Nick Kale has a little tea time coming up. I've been trying to get one more round in, Dawn. Nobody wants to play with me, though. It's going to be 80 on Saturday, isn't it? Yes. Yes. 
Woo, finally, a nice yeah. Saturday. Yep. And then Sunday back to 72, but at least we'll have one football, you know, 80, 80, 80 actually just change it, 82 degrees and sunny for your Saturday. Wow. So hopefully this is a yeah. winning Game 7 forecast. Certainly feels like summer this week. And this is your first edition, Kellen Company News Live. All right, Dawn, thank you very much. 617, let's get to a Tuesday Big Take. The Big Take on Kale & Company. All right, the big take this morning, George Floyd, a pawn in the left's game. Racism, much like anti-Semitism and other forms of hate and phobias, will always exist in America as well as other nations. We as a society will never truly eradicate hatred because human beings are flawed individuals. But you can certainly make progress, and nobody's saying you should give up. In the Middle East, we saw about a 20-year stretch of sustained stability amongst the Arabs and Jews. And then out of nowhere... We saw what happened on Saturday, October 7th. In the United States, we have made great progress when it comes to racism. If you look at where this country was in the 1950s and 60s, compared to the early to mid-2000s, there was a significant reduction in race-related hatred. But that changed in May of 2020 with the death of George Floyd. I have long said on this show that I don't believe the supply of racism in America meets the demand that the left wants and needs. The Democrats, they don't want to eliminate racism. Democrats thrive on it. They want division to create dysfunction and distraction. Fear and racism is on page one of the Dems playbook. We've known that for decades. And I believe that the left used George Floyd's death to send this country back to the way it was 60 years ago in order to keep selling fear, attracting young minority voters, and to keep their stranglehold over a population to win elections. And the math actually proves my point. According to a Gallup poll last year, Americans believed 21 years ago in 2002 that race relations in America were pretty good. 72% of those polled said things seemed to be, quote, pretty good between races. Now, in the most recent poll in 2023, post-George Floyd's death, that number has plummeted to 54% which is a decline of 18%. The reality is George Floyd was a pawn for the Democrats, and if you're a critical thinker and you're paying attention to all of the news and not just what mainstream media tells you, or more importantly, what they ignore, you will see this. New testimony indicates that George Floyd did not die from strangulation or asphyxiation. There's also no evidence to prove it was uh, racially motivated. Here is Tucker Carlson with the latest of Tucker on Twitter Listen and watch. Did, for example, a racist white cop actually murder a man called George Floyd, a civil rights leader, in Minneapolis on Memorial Day of 2020? Now, we've been told that that happened, told it relentlessly for more than three years. So at this point, we've been told it so much that pretty much everybody seems to believe it. And because everyone does kind of believe it, a small group of people has been allowed to make massive changes to American society. They include, but are not limited to, decriminalizing stealing, defunding the police, adding a new federal holiday to the calendar called Juneteenth, the ceasing of hiring all white men in corporate America, and of course, significantly, they also sent a cop called Derek Chauvin to prison for more than 40 years. He would be the racist white devil who murdered George Floyd. But the question is, did he actually murder George Floyd? And the answer is, well, no, he didn't murder George Floyd. And we're not guessing about that. We know it conclusively thanks to a new court case now underway in Hennepin County, Minnesota. The case was brought by a prosecutor there called Amy Sweezy. She's suing her boss. 
So the case is not actually about George Floyd or Derek Chauvin, but it tells you an awful lot about both of them. In her deposition, which you should read, Amy Sweezy describes a conversation that she had with the county medical examiner, Andrew Baker, right after George Floyd died. Quote, I called Dr. Baker early that morning to tell him about the case and to ask him if he would perform the autopsy on Mr. Floyd. Sweezy recalls all this under oath in the deposition. Quote, he called me later in the day on that Tuesday, and he told me that there were no medical findings that showed any injury to the vital structures of Mr. Floyd's neck. There were no medical indications of asphyxia or strangulation. The media's narrative caused riots for months. We all recall the BLM riots of the summer of 2020. We saw businesses destroyed and people killed. We saw over $1 billion worth in property damage. And we saw approximately 20 people killed, which far exceeds any death total on January 6th. The truth is, the dated racism playbook is stale and predictable to many of us, but it still sells to a select few who are incredibly gullible and think every single person is always under attack. One man who isn't buying it is a veteran of the armed forces who worked in forensics. He's an African-American male who is now a children's book author and goes by the name Dr. Interracial on Twitter. His Twitter handle is at Billy's Andy Todd if you would like to check it out. He's a fantastic follow, a great critical thinker in my opinion. But listen and watch what he had to say after this latest George Floyd autopsy information was shared in another court case referenced just now by Tucker Carlson. Listen and watch. While serving in the military, my background is forensics. I know how to read autopsy reports. I even filled a lot of reports. And it finally came to truth about George Floyd's death, drug overdose. He didn't die by asphyxiation or strangulation by the police department of Minneapolis. And the sad thing about it is Keith Ellison and the prosecutor and a lot of the Democrats knew that was a lie. But they pushed that lie, which destroyed cities across the nation everywhere. A lot of people lost their lives, a lot of lost businesses. And then a lot of the cities start promote defund the police. Now, what's happening in Minneapolis and St. Paul happened in Baltimore just everywhere. Democrats have been destroying our country every, since they lost the Civil War. And y'all people keep voting for them. They don't care nothing about you. They'd rather take a dumb, stupid person like George Floyd and push their agenda to destroy your own community. Racism and racially motivated hate crimes are tragic and they happen, no doubt about it. But Democrats are diabolical and will use this to their advantage while continuing to push racism at every imaginable opportunity. Remember UC Smollett, the famous hate crime hoaxer? Well, just this past Friday, we received an update on UC. And UC Smollett is, quote, getting help through a rehab treatment facility. TMZ confirmed with a rep from Smollett's camp. The rep tells us, quote, UC has had an extremely difficult past few years. He's been quietly working very hard for some time now, and we're proud of him for taking these necessary steps. We're told Smollett is in an outpatient program. Smollett's rehab stint comes amid his ongoing appeal in his Chicago criminal case. As TMZ has reported, UC was found guilty of lying to cops about an alleged attack back in 2019 where he claimed two masked Trump supporters attacked him and put a noose around his neck. I'm not even sure why this is a headline or a story, because this is all self-inflicted on a complete fabrication and lie. And if this wasn't enough, 
We have also discovered now in the last 48 hours in New York City some disturbing news. As it's been reported by the New York Post that ex-Mayor Bill de Blasio deliberately held back cops during the George Floyd protests. That according to a new book from Melissa DeRosa and the claims that she makes. At this point, it's merely an allegation and a claim, but would it shock you? Would it shock anyone? Or was all of this done by design? Was this the opportunity the left was searching for? The opening they needed during the early days of the pandemic with the election for 2020 about five or six months away. You can absolutely make that assertion because we've known the left's agenda for quite some time. And that's very sad. Sad but predictable. And that's the big take. The big take on Kale and Company. All right, big take this morning. If you want to jump in on the conversation, you can do so. 855-839-1210, the phone number on Twitter and Instagram, the radio station at 1210WPHT. And, of course, on YouTube, just go to YouTube.com slash at 1210WPHT. Hit the like and subscribe buttons and be a part of the Kale & Company comment community. We'll come back, get some thoughts and a reaction to that, as well as what is going on with the left when it comes to the Jewish folks in this country. They feel abandoned. We're going to get to that as we continue. It's Kale & Company, live here on this Tuesday morning. Nick, Don and Greg on Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. It's Kale & Company On Demand. From Talk Radio 1210 WPHT and the free Odyssey app. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. We have an unbelievable edition of What's on the Cut Sheet coming up at 745 today. I mean, I try to stay out of Stockers' way for that, but I just saw so many things yesterday where I was laughing hysterically. You're going to hear a lot of A-listers coming up. Joe was doing things that Joe typically does, so that's a little tease for you. You're not going to want to miss this. But I do think it's interesting, and I wasn't really planning on going down this new kind of wrinkle in the George Floyd story, but it all ties into what's going on with Israel and Hamas in the Middle East and the way the media covers it and the way the Democrats have shifted all to one side here. So honestly, when you look at George Floyd and the way the left used him as a pawn, and the way the left is kind of abandoning Israel at a time of need. We'll kind of tie it all together here in the next 15 minutes or so. Um, but I do want to point out a tweet from our buddy Road Warrior. Uh, he must have just sent this uh, during the, the big take. As you know, he's a retired detective for over three decades. And he says, in regards to the George Floyd autopsy, which is back um, kind of in the, the lower weeds of the news, uh, medical examiners, and this is from Road Warrior, medical examiners are often susceptible to outside influences in making decisions on mode and manner of death. I would know I've done it a lot. Um, so I thought that was pretty interesting because, to be honest, I didn't see this story from any specific, quote, mainstream media outlet. This was from uh, one of Tucker Carlson's latest episodes. I think it was episode 32. It's about three or four days old. Um, and so this George Floyd manner of death is being brought up and presented in another court case in Minnesota. And then I see other influencers and other people talking about, including this guy who was in the, the armed forces uh, as a forensics expert. And you go back again and you look at the, the George Floyd autopsy. No life-threatening injuries identified. No facial, oral, mucosal, or other issues. No injuries of anterior muscles or laryngeal structures of the throat. No scalp soft tissue, skull, or brain injuries. 
No chest, wall, soft tissue injuries. No fractured ribs or vertebrae. And then you look at all the toxicology reports. I mean, the, the guy had a pharmacy in his system at the time, for God's sakes. Um, so I thought that was kind of interesting to bring up, which, which brings us to what's going on, the ongoing issues in the Middle East. And we'll get to the media failure and the journalism malpractice coming up in about 15 minutes locally here in Philadelphia with the Inquirer, as well as the New York Times. But it, it is interesting that when you when you look at it, it feels to me, and I hate to make this political, I really do. I mean, this is, this is war. I don't think anybody roots for it. Nobody wants casualties and death. Um, I think a lot of us, if not all of us, are against the war machine and, you know, all the propaganda and the profiteering that comes with it. But two articles, one from the L.A. Times and one from one of the media sites that we look at from time to time called Mediate. I want to start with the headline from Mediate. The Israel-Hamas war is causing a reckoning on the left. And I just want to read you a little excerpt here. Uh, they go on to say, since October 7th, this has riled up the American left and reopened a deep cleavage in the Democratic Party that shows no sign of healing anytime soon. Democrats are tearing each other apart over how to appropriately honor the dead in Israel, hold Hamas, Hamas accountable for its atrocities, and support Palestinian civilians while combating both rising anti-Semitism and Islamophobia at home. It's very interesting the amount of Islamophobia that is being brought up in response to this uh, ongoing conflict, because I would argue that the anti-Semitism levels are far more off the charts in this country than the Islamophobia. Not to say that Islamophobia does not exist, because it certainly does. They go on to say that the Democrats clearly have a more difficult task in managing the camps within their tent than does the GOP on this issue, particularly as many on the far left have inflamed tensions into an all-out war in the Democratic Party. The war may also create a potential electoral liability for President Joe Biden. Let me just stop right there and, and ask the question, and I'm curious to see what you guys think. Is this something that could actually benefit the GOP here in the next 13 months when we talk about elections coming up? Is it possible no. that this could backfire on the no. Dems? No. You don't think so? No. Okay. We we have uh we we like to memory hole things, you know what I mean? Sure. Like like it's what's happening now has no bearing <clears throat> of what's going to be in 13 months from now. Okay. Don, you agree or disagree? Could this is this something where the GOP could maybe win some people over, so to speak. No, I agree with Greg on that point, but I will say they can anything you say can and will be used against you. So when they're you know talking trash about each other, which is stupid. Just yeah, now you're, just, you're referring to who talking trash about who? Oh wait, well, are you talking about the House, the yeah, nine members yeah, of the yeah, House? Yeah, yeah. So when they're talking trash about each other and saying whatever the drama that can all be used in different commercials, and they can make fun of them over it so in their in in other words it's before this all happened it was thought that maybe just maybe they we could lose the house but it looks like we're going to win the senate mm -hmm. so so now could that be used in their you know obviously they're going after Lo, uh, lauren bobert in colorado she's very vulnerable in her seat it was a tough seat anyway but and you saw Saturday Night Live make make fun of her. That's why the media always brings her up because they want her to lose. Well, and the, her upcoming election and that movie seat that she was in for a while was a tough seat as well. Yeah, they're using everything. I mean, she was going through a really nasty divorce and yeah. an abusive relationship. And if she were a Democrat, they would all say, "Oh, you know, she got mm -hmm. out of 
uh, she she was pregnant as a teen from an older guy who she stuck with, and she was in an abusive relationship. And she's, you know what I mean? It would be a completely different talking point well, if, if she were a Democrat. If the Democrats and the left can make commercials and ad campaigns based off of the um, dysfunction within the Republican-controlled House, why can't Republicans take out excerpts and ads and clips of all the left-wing propaganda, MSNBC, the New York Times, the Philadelphia Inquirer, the Washington Post, the squad members, and use that against them in their like almost absurd defense of the slaughtering of Jews. I, I think that would be a powerful ad that hits home to potentially maybe an undecided voter, an independent, a moderate. I mean, you could. This is where like Democrats will do whatever it takes to win elections and regain power, even if it means you know going to the lowest of the lows. And, and I don't know if that's low by going after Bobert. It's politics. Everything is fair game when it's public. I mean, I I try not to be you know partisan when it comes to that. If there's if there's like you know personal issues in your life that's out there to the public, and you're competing against that person for a seat, it's fair game. But why can't the Republicans quote? Why don't we stoop to the Democrats level? And use all this anti-Israel propaganda that's coming out from the left to potentially win a swing state or a battleground state. I, I think that's fair game, is it not? Well, I, I mean, I think on one hand, depending on the handling of this delicate situation, if God forbid it goes badly, um, will will it be one more to, uh, Biden debacle and Democrats will own it? Yes, that's true. But I mean, Joe's basically he's given into the squad Dems on this ceasefire right here. Right. I mean, they were demanding it. And now we've got this kind of this ongoing delay of, you know, troops on the ground, so to speak. I don't know, Nick. I think if they I think the fear is if they all go storming in that that um, if it's a massive situation, they're just going to kill those 220 hostages. Yeah. They're dead. Yeah. Uh, I, I, that's, I really, a fair, that's a fair point. I, that's what I, I I just think. I don't know what the odds are. You know, I'm sure we could talk to somebody who's been doing this for a long time, mm-hmm. right, in hostage negotiations as this goes on. I don't know what the odds of them surviving are, yeah. but I suspect as every day goes by, the odds go down. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I know they've released four hostages, mm-hmm. but, like, the the odds are that they're... they're the odds are, are horrifying. They're yeah. dead anyway. Yeah. So it, it's, you know, fair. you know what I mean? Like, I hate to be cold and I hate to be callous. Oh, it but could like, be the that's, truth. Horrible. That's what, that's the reality of the situation. So if they're waiting for more hostages to be released, like, that's exactly what Hamas wants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. And the the reason I ask is this is also interesting when we talk about the left and what, what they latch on to and what they push and advocate for column from the LA Times uh, about one individual in his life. Uh, The headline is the left has really let us down. Why many American Jews feel abandoned. And let me just read you just a couple of sentences here. Uh, Like many American Jews, Jonah Goldman sides politically with the left, including its push for the rights of Palestinians. During college, he was active in J Street, the liberal Jewish advocacy group that opposes the Israeli occupation of Palestinian territories and lobbied for a two-state solution. But in the aftermath of Hamas's gruesome raid on Israel last month, Goldman has never felt so isolated from people he long considered his allies. He was shocked by how quickly friends mobilized for the Palestinian cause while failing to condemn the attack. 
The, the militants killed more than 1,400 people, most of them civilians, slaughtering families, including children, and taking 200 more hostage. Good people he never considered anti-Semitic suddenly seemed, quote, supportive of Jewish genocide on social, social media and college campuses, as well as at pro-Palestinian rallies, the sort of protest Goldman once would have joined. The assault has been portrayed as a form of resistance. He goes on to say, quote, the left in America has really let us down. Goldman, who is 31 years old and lives in the Washington area, considers himself a Democrat and a, social, a socialist. Now, a couple of other things in this article with the L.A. Times kind of chronicling where he's coming from and what he believes. Uh, in, uh, he goes on to say, in other quarters of the far left, significant airtime has been given to the view that Israel is a colonizing force and therefore violence against it is justified. Jews have always been the biggest targets for hate crimes in America, he says. Most prominently, the 2018 massacre of 11 people at the Tree of Life Synagogue in Pittsburgh, which we've referenced on this show that Dawn has brought up in the news from time to time. Anti-Semitic crimes were second only to anti-black crimes in 2022, a pattern frequently seen in the FBI dating back to 31 years ago. But as a minority group, that is by and large white American Jews, who number uh, 7.6 million in total, or 2.3% of the U.S. population, have also struggled to find their place in the new hierarchy of identity politics. And obviously, we don't have to go back any further from what happened. You go back to, you know, World War II and Hitler and the Holocaust and things like that. And that's kind of the point of a lot of this, is the left is known for their identity politics. And, you know, I think on the right, for the most part, we look at right, wrong, fact versus fiction, logic, so forth and so on. The left always seems to choose a side based on the victim and the identity. Like the left doesn't really seem to care or report something when it is a white person on the end of a crime. We only talk about it when it's like, okay, it was a police officer with a minority suspect who allegedly did X, Y, or Z. And then when we go to this conflict, I am still now, what are we, 16 days into talking about this. It is still wild to me that they, the left has really, really pinned themselves into a corner here to the point where, and this guy right here, Mr. Goldman, 31 years old, probably does not feel alone. I mean, we played you that clip of that girl at the Washington University campus who was crying her eyes out to a school administrator on campus in like the quad area while there was basically pro-Hamas, pro-Palestinian protests going on campus right now. So you talk about a group, and we, we mentioned something yesterday about how everything is always about the oppressor versus the oppressed. I mean, the Jewish community right now in America has got to be feeling unbelievably unsafe and terrible right now when they look around at their country. And I know we, we told you the poll yesterday, 84% of Americans do support the funding and support of Israel. But that 16% that doesn't makes you feel, feel, feel very uneasy about your safety in this country these days. So I thought that was worth bringing up because the left always seems to kind of just jump into one camp, even when you look at things logically and say, I don't know that the, the Jewish community is in the wrong here, yet they're painting it with that kind of brush and that lens. So Yeah, which is bizarre. It is. And, and l let me say this as well, too. We talk about how many people of Jewish descent are in this country. How many people in the entertainment world, Hollywood, 
the legal field, the medical field, the political field. There, there is a lot of very prominent, powerful Jewish people in this country in industries where you would think there would be more pro-Israeli support. Yet you're seeing this verbal backlash as if like this is the like and Greg kind of pointed it out with the like the what about ism and the two side ism. I, you know, I'm not saying Israel is 100 percent innocent in the history of their civilization. They've done things as well. But it's overwhelming. Well, the United States isn't either. Well, that's so, correct. So, like, right. no, nobody's no country, got a perfect yeah, average. No country is right. I, I just, you know, I mean, I'm just. It's very interesting. You see different publications with different stories, and th- this is kind of the stuff I actually like looking at. Is and I, I've seen enough of the talking heads on MSNBC and their opinions. But like when somebody like the L.A. Times, which yeah. is obviously left leaning, mm-hmm. actually reaches out to individuals and talks about their upbringing and how they're totally stunned. So it almost confirms. My belief of I'm stunned the way this is played, uh, played out in public support. So I'm not on, I'm not in the minority when somebody that actually feels really left out in that community is kind of echoing their confusion similar to me. What's what I would really like to see. And of course, you know, we don't know this person, so we won't be able to tell. But, you know, in 13 months, will it affect to the point that we started this segment with will it affect the way he votes right and i'm guessing it won't you're probably right yeah the economy probably has more to do with that the the only thing i'm going to say about your your big take on the george floyd death is that that was a moment that brought the nation together with a tragic situation we all watched it as if it were in real time more than nine minutes a man calling out a big man calling out for his mom and his final moments Mm mm-hmm and so I'm just going to say about that, that it was horrible. And police enforcements and police law enforcement across the country said that's not how we're trained or that's not our protocol. Everybody condemned the procedure that he did in that. And so it was horrifying enough. Let it be and let that officer or those officers then face the music on breaking protocol and that sort of thing. But they had to pimp it. They had to use it, like you said, in your yeah big take as a narrative however as far as what you play with tucker carlson you know to, to pull, pull back totally on this thing and say it was all a big lie we all know what we saw and i think that's a mistake to pull it back and say oh no this is, no it, they broke protocol it was horrible it was awful it was nine minutes that we all watched and cried so let let it be mm-hmm. everybody tucker <laughs> you know, liberal media, let it be what it is. It's horrible enough. Yeah. 855-839-1210 if you want to climb in. Speaking of liberal media, uh, I'm not sure what is more crazy. The fact that so many in the media have gone to the kind of rallying cause and the support of Palestinians and Hamas or the fact that these same outlets are just journalistically failing Categorically, the Philadelphia Inquirer offers up an apology and the New York Times gives us an admission. We'll give you the details on both when we come back here on Kale and Company. Stay right there. This is the Kale and Company podcast from Talk Radio 1210 WPHD and on the free Odyssey app. What a great time of year this fall to find yourself that new or certified luxury vehicle you've been wanting. I hope you turn to my friends from Piazza Premium Automobiles. They're always here to assist you in your unique vehicle search. And it really is a unique search. 
You'll be amazed as well. I'm thinking about it because I've got the minivan, the Honda Odyssey minivan. I was amazed at how much they told me I would get for a trade-in right now. The trade-ins are so high value. So you got to turn to the Piazza Premium family. Okay, they're across the tri-state region. Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Delaware. And the Piazza Premium family features dealerships across our region. They're great people. Find your Alfa Romeo, your Maserati. These are some of the most beautiful, sleek, powerful. You know, I'm just coveting these vehicles. Oh, that Maserati, that Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Jaguar, or Land Rover at PiazzaPremiumAutos.com. You know, they say that the vehicle you drive says a little bit about you. So you got to turn to my friends from Piazza Premium Automobiles. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Nick, Dawn, and Greg, 855-839-1210. Get us on the free Odyssey app. Watch us live on YouTube. What's on the cut sheet coming up at 745? We'll kick off Hour 2 with some news for Dawn in just about 10 minutes. Game 7 tonight in the world of baseball. Uh, The Philadelphia Inquirer gets ripped for a terrible, terrible decision with a political cartoon when it comes to Israel and Hamas. We will get to that as we kick off Hour 2 after Dawn's news. But before the apology of the Philadelphia Inquirer, we get to uh, another dying left-wing publication, the New York Times, and an admission from them. And this is finally coming out after last week. The New York Times just showed how clueless they really are. I I don't know if you know it's uh, a reduction in staff or they just don't care about journalistic integrity or if their editorial process has gone to you-know-what in a handbasket. Uh, But the headline reads, New York Times admits that the Gaza hospital bombing story relied on information from Hamas terrorists. This is, like, crazy that you wouldn't do proper vetting, proper sourcing, your due diligence. You'll just take the words of the terrorist. Uh, So the New York Times finally formally addresses its epic failure covering the bombing of a hospital in Gaza. Um, They go on to say the following. Uh, It was one of the most egregious examples our publication has ever done. Hitting publish on the headline, Israeli strike kills hundreds in hospital, Palestinians say. The headline, which was actually stealth edited multiple times. So they changed this on multiple fronts online with their digital publication. But as we know, screenshots and the Internet are forever and people keep receipts. And they were apparently caught stealth editing this multiple times. And I think the lesson to be learned here is, you know, don't take terrorists at their word. You know, let's like, you know, I said last week it would be the equivalent of a bank robbery and the uh, the local newspaper or media outlet um, hasn't gotten the official word from police or uh, the local bank or the security personnel at the bank. But the bank robbers has sent them a message via the WhatsApp messenger app and said, yeah, uh, it, it wasn't us. Oh, well, the bank robbers have nothing to do with it. So we might as well run with that. That's the New York Times. That's not some some pseudo journalist on social media or some blogger or podcaster. That is what many people have tried to make the claim of the New York Times being the premier newspaper in this country. And uh, it's actually so bad that Elon Musk last week after the mistake prior to this admission 
stripped the New York Times of their verified check mark. Yeah, I saw that on social yeah. media. Yeah. So uh, Elon Musk has kind of been a little weird lately with Twitter. Now check marks don't mean anything these days. Like, no, like, no, because you can pay for it. Yeah, exactly. Right, but it's not like the New York Times. You know, I'm sure they were verified before you had to pay for it, and he decided to remove that check mark from them, uh, which which is also weird with Twitter. Because now Elon's going to start charging people $1 per year oh, for basic mi- functions? What a mistake. What a mistake. Wait, what's the point of that? It's just, $1 per year? Well, he's, for what? He's realizing... To tweet. To, to tweet. that Which could be the way I finally get off of Twitter. So, Greg Stocker, you should actually be relishing publish? this moment. Yeah. Yeah. To publish. Basic things like retweeting yep. and posting. Yep. Then it costs you a dollar a year. Can, I write, extra, can I write that off? What extra do we get? Nothing. Nothing. That's, that's just, the thing. The, just the ability to be if on there. If we're paying dog. for stuff, we should get something extra. Yeah, right? we. I yeah, agree. We don't. I agree. We don't. Like not. if Elon Musk, like if he could come here and we could have like little meetings with him or Zoom talks with him. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I don't. Yeah, I'll be, pay be, that. No, I don't want to do that either. It would be, pain, it'd be painful. <laughs> he's exposing himself as the fraud he actually <laughs> is. He, he's a mess. He, he's a giant. mess. He's just everywhere. He's a giant mess. He's just. A, yeah. I, you know what he is? He's an attention seeker. A hundred percent. He really is. He is. Yeah, no doubt. He loves it. Well, he's. A, you know that this is the. He's this genius with a ton of energy. Way too much energy. Too much time and, on his hands. You know, like being a billionaire and building Teslas and rockets isn't enough. Yeah. And so Twitter's a toy for him. We are basically the Legos. Yeah. For and I loved your little. You like that, by yeah. the way. My uh, my daughter uh, got uh, uh, my daughter. My daughter she doesn't have a son. Thank God. If she did, it'd be really weird. Um, my sister, her son, got the whole new, the whole new Lego set, and my sister was texting me last night saying, "I got Dawn's voice in my Yay. background saying Legos are the building blocks of the future for yes. for little boys or men. Scholarships, robotics. Yeah, good job, Aaron. I never had Legos. Yeah. Explain me why. either. See? I was just gonna say. <laughs> I never had Legos. I can't build a damn no. thing. I had wrestling buddies. Yeah, exactly. exactly. They're actually fun. But we, So we are the Legos for Elon Musk. He's, we're go. just his play toys. Yeah. We're like... Not doing that. You know, Barbie and G.I. No. Joe dolls. Not not doing that. <laughs> Twitter's a cesspool anyway. You can have it. This could be it. <laughs> not everything needs to be on Twitter. Right. 855-839-1210. Coming up next, you're going to want to get to YouTube because you will see this political cartoon that the Philadelphia Inquirer ran. And apparently... The screening, the vetting, the, you know what, on second thought, probably not a good look. That never seemed to transpire or materialize. We will explain that story and their apology from one of the bigwigs of the company. On the other side, it's hour two of Kale and Company. Start your day with Kale and Company. Weekday mornings, 6 till 10. On Talk Radio 1210, WPHT, and the free Odyssey app.